Hello. Welcome to the first episode of The Hate Crime Files, a podcast about crimes typically involving violence, motivated by prejudice based on race, religion, sexual orientation, gender identity, or other grounds. This podcast covers disturbing events and may not be suitable for everyone. It's not recommended for young children. Listener discretion is advised. I'm your host, Terrence Heath. In my first episode, I decided to explore one of the first cases I researched and chronicled when I began writing entries on Wikipedia about hate crimes, the murder of a lesbian couple in Oregon. Michelle Abdul and Roxanne Ellis met one another in 1983. Ronald Reagan was in his first term as president that year, which saw the Washington Redskins beat the Miami Dolphins in Super Bowl XVII, the Space Shuttle Challenger launch its maiden voyage, and the bombing of the United States Embassy in Beirut. Vanessa L. Williams became the first African American to be crowned Miss America, and Ronald Reagan signed a bill creating a holiday to honor slain civil rights leader Martin Luther King, Jr. Roxanne Ellis, a divorced mother of two, was working as an obstetrics nurse when Michelle Abdul got a job in the same doctor's office. The two eventually became a couple and settled into life together in Colorado Springs. However, the pair found it difficult living in the conservative town, which was, and still is, home to the headquarters of Focus on the Family, a Christian conservative political organization founded by psychologist James Dobson. The Southern Poverty Law Center categorizes the organization, known for making false claims about the LGBT community, based on discredited research and junk science as an extremist group. By 1990, the conservative forces that would ultimately pass Colorado's State Amendment 2, which effectively banned protected status for LGBT people, were getting too intense, according to Ellis's daughter Lori. Colorado Springs felt increasingly hostile to gays and lesbians, so Abdul and Ellis moved to Medford, Oregon, where they hoped the small-town setting would give them a chance to start over, live openly, and find acceptance. Things went well for a while. The couple started a successful property management business and spent their spare time restoring their craftsman-style house and visiting with Ellis's three-year-old granddaughter. They were even elected to the board of their church. They moved here so they could be out, Lori said. They were the most out in the community. They marched and wrote letters. They were core members of the local chapter of parents and friends of lesbians and gays. The couple cooked food for and cared for friends living with HIV and AIDS. Abdul and Ellis weren't alone. Gay men and lesbians lured by gay-friendly Ashland, just 10 miles down the road, also settled in Medford, where living was cheaper 
despite its lack of a gay center, bar, or bookstore. Culture shock was inevitable for locals as African Americans and Latinos also began arriving in the ultra-conservative former mill town, which was known as a sundown town in the 1960s, where non-whites had to leave the city limits before sundown. Jackson County, home to Medford and Ashland, was 95.8% white, according to the 1990 census. The Ku Klux Klan maintained a chapter in Grants Pass, just 30 miles away. The couple could not escape the prejudice that caused them to flee Colorado Springs. Locals in Medford blamed an influx of outsiders, mostly from California, for an increase in gang warfare and the availability of drugs in schools. One local bartender said that locals also blamed Californians for the increased visibility of gays and lesbians in the community. A lot of people are not too happy about this new gay rights. I've heard them say that they think gays are coming from San Francisco. They're wrong, but that's what they think, he said. Lori Ellis feared for the couple's safety. She said, The fear was always there that someone would hurt them because of who they were, how out they were, and how many closed-minded people are still out there. I always felt something bad was going to happen. In 1992, the Oregon Citizens Alliance, a conservative organization, introduced Ballot Measure 9. The measure would have added the following language to the state constitution. All governments in Oregon may not use their monies or properties to promote, encourage, or facilitate homosexuality, pedophilia, sadism, or masochism. All levels of government, including public education systems, must assist in setting a standard for Oregon's youth, which recognizes that these behaviors are abnormal, wrong, unnatural, and perverse, and they are to be discouraged and avoided. Voters defeated the measure in the 1992 general election. But the Oregon Citizens Alliance was back in 1994 with Measure 13, which would have prevented schools from using materials that were deemed to, quote, legitimize homosexuality. Though a majority in Medford voted in favor of Measure 13, it went down to defeat in the 1994 general election. Abdul and Ellis joined activist campaigns to defeat both ballot initiatives. Abdul and Ellis had been a couple for 12 years by 1995. They were respected members of their community, well known for their activism on gay rights issues. They were running a successful business and enjoying time with family as well as hiking and canoeing in the surrounding area. Like Abdil and Ellis, Robert Ackerman was a transplant to the Medford area, in his case, from California. Having served in the Air Force and earned an MBA from Golden State University in San Francisco, 
Ackerman initially found work as a district operations manager at Roadway Trucking in Los Angeles. Tired of the long hours and lack of advancement at Roadway, Ackerman left his $40,000 a year job to start his own software business, marketing the computer system he developed for the trucking company. However, the computer program proved a hard sell. Frustrated with the failure of his company, Ackerman moved to Massalia, where he tried in vain to find work. In the spring of 1995, Ackerman met Ala Kosova, a Las Vegas stripper with whom he began a relationship. Kosova would later testify at Ackerman's murder trial. She confirmed that the two had a relationship, but said that it was purely financial as far as she was concerned, and that they never had sex. Ackerman spent up to $3,000 a weekend on Kosova at the club where she worked. He also bought her a pair of diamond earrings, and occasionally took her out to dinner. Kosova testified that she ended their relationship in August 1995 when Ackerman had emptied his savings, used up his retirement fund, and maxed out his credit cards. She said that she changed her number and severed ties with Ackerman after he called her claiming that he had no money left because a man in New York had stolen it all. Frustrated over his financial losses, business failure, and romantic rejection, Ackerman became a heavy drinker, which he says led him to explore his darker impulses. Sometimes when I drink, I get angry, he said. That anger comes out. He began reading up on guns, bombs, and surveillance techniques, and even studied how to manufacture methamphetamines as a source of income. He also considered robbery as an alternative. Ackerman told his Air Force buddies, if I ever get desperate, I could always go shoot people and just take what they got. It's the American way. I'm just one of the Americans who didn't make it doing that. It's what this country is built on, he said taking from others. I tried my best. It just wasn't meant to be. Guess it's just fate. Visalia was where Ackerman would commit his first known murder. Ten weeks before the murders of Abdel and Ellis, 23-year-old Visalia resident Scott George went missing. George, who was born in Visalia but raised in the quiet farming community of Exeter, was last seen alive on October 3, 1995, at a downtown Visalia restaurant with Ackerman. The two met because George's father was dating Ackerman's mother, Darlene, who enlisted George to introduce her son to people his age. Ackerman would later confess to shooting and killing George after a night of drinking. Ackerman gave conflicting reasons for killing George. He attributed his murder of George to a, quote, sudden urge. 
The two were out driving around after a night of drinking in Ackerman's 1990 Thunderbird with Ackerman at the wheel. George didn't piss me off. I had my gun on the right side of the seat, he said. I just picked it up and shot him in the back of the head. I had just built a silencer for my handgun, so maybe it was a way to test it out. I don't know, he said, laughing. The next day, I regretted having to clean up all that shit and disposing of him. At another time, Ackermut would also say that he shot George after George made a pass at him. Ackermut would confess to shooting George four to five times and hiding his body in an abandoned mine shaft on Ackermut's father's property. Just three weeks later, Ackermut moved with his mother, Darlene Bradshaw, to Medford, where his brother Kenneth and his sister-in-law ran the Tiki Lodge Motel. Ellis had even shown Ackermut and his mother some apartments, but the mother and son ultimately ended up living elsewhere. On December 4th, 1995, Ellis, then 53, went to an appointment to show an apartment to 27-year-old Robert Ackermut. Police believe the appointment was made earlier that day. Ellis failed to return several pages from her daughter Lori during the day and allegedly called at 4 p.m. to tell Lori she was going shopping. Abdil left the office at 5 p.m., saying that she had a call from Ellis that her truck would not start and was going to help Ellis jumpstart it. Later, Ellis's daughter drove over to the apartment complex and saw her mother's pickup, but said the truck pulled away from her when she tried to follow it. Ellis and Abdul were not seen again until their bodies were discovered four days later in the back of Ellis's pickup truck by a cable TV worker who reported the vehicle to police. The women were bound, gagged, and shot in the head. Their bodies were wrapped in drapes and covered by cardboard boxes. Ackermant soon after resurfaced in Alakasova's life after the murders of Abdul and Ellis, spending $5,000 from the sale of his car to fulfill a fantasy by paying women to lap dance for Kosova. After taking her to dinner on December 10th, Kosova said Ackermant pulled out a gun and a stun gun as they sat in her truck. He told her that he had killed three people, two, just that week. He unscrewed the silencer on the gun and showed her the blood inside. Kosova said she told a police officer who was a customer at the club where she worked what Ackerman had told her about the murders, but he didn't believe her. Afterward, Kosova told Ackerman they were through but she would visit him in jail after his arrest for what she told him was the last time when the television program Inside Edition paid her to visit Ackermont in Jackson County Jail. 
Kosovo would later return to television under the name Ala Wartenberg as a contestant during the second season of future President Donald Trump's reality television show, The Apprentice. The discovery of Allison Abdel's bodies caused concern in the local gay community. The couple's activism and reports of an earlier threat against them roused suspicion that they were victims of a hate crime. The National Gay and Lesbian Task Force wrote to Attorney General Janet Reno and requested that the Department of Justice assist local authorities in the investigation. The letter cited the Justice Department's guidelines, which said a crime motivated by bias in whole or in part should be considered a hate crime. The nature of the crime and the couple's activism led to widespread publicity about the case. Police publicized a composite sketch of the suspect based on a description by a witness who'd seen a man, Ackerman, park Ellis's truck and walk away. Media coverage of the murders reached Ackerman's mother, who had moved to Medford three weeks earlier with her son. Believing that her son had committed the murders based on his behavior and his resemblance to the composite sketch, Ackerman's mother called a police tip line and told police of her suspicion. She showed police the labels of cardboard boxes used during her move to Medford with Ackerman. Police matched the address labels on those boxes to the ones used to cover the bodies of Ellis and Abdel. Lori Ellis said that Police told her Ackermet had left fingerprints all over her mother's truck. Ackermet had no criminal record, but his prints would have been on record due to his four years in the Air Force. Ackermet's mother later told the Oregonian, I called the police because I have to look God in the face. I will do anything in my power to make sure other people aren't hurt. But right now, he's sick. Police contacted California authorities and found that Ackerman was under investigation there in the October 3rd disappearance of Scott George. Their attention turned to Tulare, California, where Ackerman had barged into the home of family friends desperate to steal money, found their 20-year-old daughter alone, and handcuffed her. Police traced Ackerman to a motel room in Stockton, California, and arrested him on December 13, 1995. Upon arrest, Ackerman confessed to the Ellis and Abdel murders, claiming his motive was robbery. After they refused to write checks off their property management business, Ackerman bound and gagged both women with duct tape, forced them to lie down in the back of Ellis' pickup truck and shot them execution-style in the back of the head. Ackerman also confessed to killing Scott George of Visalia, California on October 3, 1995 and dumping his body down a mine shaft on his father's property. After Ackerman told his father where he'd hidden the body, police found what was believed to be George's body 
at the bottom of a mine shaft outside Ackerman's father's ranch in Stockton. California officials were also interested in Ackerman's potential involvement in the unsolved murder of his aunt. Sherry Herrera of Tulare, California, disappeared on March 3, 1993. Her body was found five days later next to a highway on-ramp near Indio, California. She had been strangled. Statements about Ackerman's motive in killing Abdul and Ellis shifted over time. His father, Kenneth, said that once in Medford, his son became convinced that the couple's business was his ticket out of the country. Because they're real estate brokers, he felt they had money at their place of business, he said. He made an appointment to meet with the one lady. The other lady was called in. He wanted to get to the place of business and get money. When the situation went bad, they got killed, the father recounted based on his son's story. In December 1995, Ackerman told the San Francisco Examiner that he just got an urge to shoot the two women during an attempted robbery. He wanted to rob a property management company by arranging to see a townhouse and then taking money from the owner. Ellis and Abdul's company was his second attempt, after the first company sent an employee instead of the owner. After meeting Ellis at a townhouse, he lured Abdul there and planned to move the women to another location to avoid being tracked down. Ackerman said it wasn't until he forced the couple, whom he'd bound and gagged with duct tape to lie down in the back of the truck, that he had the urge to shoot them in the back of the head. All of a sudden, I just looked down and had that feeling, he said. It was definitely an urge. I didn't think about it, not even a moment. Though he denied killing Ellis and Abdul because they were lesbians, Ackerman told the examiner, I don't care for lesbians, he said. Bisexual women don't bother me one bit. I couldn't help but think that she's 54 years old and had been dating that woman for 12 years. Isn't that sick, he added. That's someone's grandma, for God's sake. Could you imagine my grandma a lesbian with another woman? I couldn't believe that. It crossed my mind a couple of times. Lesbo grandma. What a thing, huh? Still, he claimed that homophobia wasn't a motivator in the crime. In August 1996, Ackerman wrote an eight-page letter to his hometown paper, The Stockton Record, in which he changed his motive for the murders. Ackerman claimed that he killed Scott George after George made a pass at him and claimed to be a victim of childhood sexual abuse. He said that he intended to rob the women and that their being lesbian made it easier to kill them. Originally, Ackerman wrote... I was nervous about inmate reactions to my reason for the killing, in that they were hate crimes against bi and homosexuals, so I invented the money motive. In a jailhouse interview, Ackerman told the Stockton Record, I've known bisexual women and that's cool. I have no problem with that. 
I have no compassion for lesbians or bisexual or gay men. I can't deal with it. Ackerman also acknowledged that he had asked Alice, the victim with whom he'd spent the most time, if she and Abdul were lesbians, and she said they were. Upon his arrest, Ackerman declared that he wished to be executed by lethal injection. One month later, he entered a not guilty plea, and his lawyers filed motions to overturn Oregon's death penalty. On September 11, 1996, Ackerman pleaded guilty to the murders of Ellis and Abdul, and an Oregon jury sentenced him to death on October 27, 1997. On March 15, 2005, Oregon's High Court upheld Ackerman's death sentence. In February 2011, Ackerman's death sentence was reduced to life in prison after he was diagnosed as delusional and unable to aid in his appeals. He would remain in jail without the possibility of parole for the murder kidnapping and robbery of Abdul and Alice. On October 26, 2018, Ackerman was found dead of natural causes during a routine bed check at the Oregon State Penitentiary. Thanks for listening to The Hate Crime Files. I'll be back with a new episode on the 15th of this month, and we'll publish new episodes on the 1st and 15th of each month. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, please subscribe, tell your friends and family about it, and consider leaving a positive review at iTunes Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, be careful out there and be good to each other.